This morning, Lockwood Holmes is going to uh, bring the word. He's going to preach this morning, and Locke is one of our, the uh, elders here at our church, and his wife, Aubrey, um, helps lead and oversee the children's ministry, and so they're uh, a very uh, involved family in our church. And I would like to read the passage this morning. There's a few of them from the book of Proverbs, so I invite you to follow along with me. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 3 do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Proverbs 23. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that in the, over the next little bit of time that we study your word, that our hearts would um, be open to hear from you, that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that we would expect um, to hear from you, that your spirit would attend the words that we hear um, spoken this morning. Father, we believe that, that your word is living and active and, and speaks to us through the power of the spirit. And so we welcome that to happen in our lives this morning. We, we ask that you would shape our lives, give um, direction to our lives through your word. We are so thankful for the friendships that you have grown here in, in, in the family and all the relationships. I ask you to protect them and grow them. And most of all, that you'd grow our love for your son, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Hello. All right. Good morning, everyone. If I look like a total old man up here, it's because I took my kids to a trampoline park yesterday and <laughs> felt like I was 12 again. Um, so, a little wrecked this morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, anyway, um, I'm excited about this morning, and uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, this morning, the title of the sermon is uh, "Culture: Creating a Culture of Generosity," and it's been something that I've kind of been contemplating for a while. Like, what does it look like to to create a culture of generosity in my own personal life, um, within my home, and then within my community, within my church, within the workplace? And uh, there's some pragmatic stuff in here, but there's also some philosophical stuff um, as well. I, um, so, yeah, I'd love to kind of sh invite you all along kind of the journey that I've been taking through the Word to kind of get to some of the conclusions I've, I've gotten to and challenge you all the same. There's some good stuff that I'll, I'll suggest maybe reading as well. But it's, it's a journey, and, and it's not just here's the sermon and there's the des destination. It's like, hey, I want to encourage you along the journey because I'm on that journey. I certainly don't have it figured out. But um, it's anyway... So as we come to kind of year-end, one of the things that I really like to do um, at work, I like to do this in my personal life and in my family life, is take a look at 2017 um, and see that I think it's, it's good to celebrate the journey. And a lot of times that's the ups and the downs. Um, we don't really grow unless, unless a lot of times we experience suffering or challenges 
that's where we do grow the most. So when you're looking back, don't be scared to celebrate those and see how the Lord's um, taken you along in that journey. I know, uh, for example, last year, my wife and I were coming off pretty kind of just, we go a little too hard sometimes, and, and occasionally we need to pump the brakes, and we're coming out of the holiday season, and we're just kind of worn down. And uh, one of the things we did this year is we started going to uh, counseling, um, and it was just great. It was just really good to go have biblical counseling and just to have a conversation with each other. Um, and I'm not saying everyone needs to do that. I was just saying, you know, so I look back on 2017, and I'm like, man, there's been a lot of positives that have come along that, with that. A lot of times, you know, with two kids in the homes running around and, and you know, work, and, and, you know, I'm addicted to outdoors and everything else. You know, sometimes I'm not intentional with my wife as I need to be. And I think having that time to go and sit down and actually have those conversations was great. It was great for our marriage. Um, I mean, there's plenty of other things. I just felt like I'd share that with you all as an example. Um, so kind of a precipice for even thinking through generosity was a realization of my own heart. Um, some of the things that, that I struggle with um, doing and why. Like, why is that hard for me to do? You know? And oftentimes, you, know, you, you realize the more that you get into generosity and thinking through, you realize how selfish you are. And I think that's just part of the journey throughout life. Um, but as, as I kind of started beginning to look through Proverbs, and I'll get into some of the verses, uh, it kind of just, you know, like Renner a couple weeks ago got up here and he read some of the Psalms. And in, in between the Psalms, a lot of times it says Selah, which is, it means meditate or contemplate on something, or on the verses that, that um, like David's writing or other people in the Psalms are writing. And I think Proverbs to me is similar to that. Oftentimes it, it, it uh, gives you this kind of, nugget of wisdom and like 15 words and you're like whoa you know and, and and if you really read into that and think through it you're like man that's heavy you know I, I don't know if I can do that or I don't I don't know how, but I think it's that's part of our journey as believers and as, as people um, to think and contemplate and pray through those so a lot of these that I'm about to share kind of hit me and I still haven't figured them out I just want to share them. but my default um, tendency is to take generosity and try to throw it into kind of my political or cultural ideology and it doesn't fit there it's so much bigger than all that um and so that's that's been really kind of revealing to me uh that that our church we we, we're here to exist to serve our community in so many different ways we can't throw that into particular cultural political ideology it's so much bigger and great and that's the kingdom of god it's so much greater than the little boxes that we try to throw things into so um, a couple of the things uh, that we're kind of going to explore the structure agenda for this morning is, you know, what creating a culture of, of generosity is. Um, we'll explore kind of the definition a little bit. Why is it a vital part of our, our well-being as believers? Why? Why generosity? Um, and how do we create a, a culture of generosity? And lastly, I think it's important oftentimes when, for me at least, and and is to create expectations, um, to uh, discuss a little bit your expectations on, hey, what does it mean to live a, a life of generosity? Uh, not to, to hold yourself so much into the fire, but I think it's important to feel the fire as well. And we'll feel that a little bit this morning. So what is, what is a culture of generosity? This is a little bit cheesy, but I really love this. I was kind of doing some, some research, and, and I came up with this. Generosity is how, how love smiles. Which is true, uh, you know. Generosity and love are 
Love is kind of a byproduct, or generosity is a byproduct of love. You can't have generosity without love. Uh, it's a product of love. It's kind of the action of love and uh, our fruit of, of, of love. So the Webster Dictionary, and I, I'm going to read a couple different uh, ways that they define generosity, and then I'm going to kind of package up in my, my definition of it. But uh, the, the, it says the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of racial, religious, or social groups. The characteristic features of everyday existence, such as uh, diversions are a way of life shared by people in a, in a place or time. The set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or organization. A set of values or conventions. Um, the integrated pattern of human knowledge, belief, um, or belief. And so for me, kind of what I derived from that is creating a culture of something to me is, it, it kind of stems from having a discipline a little bit. Uh, Ideally, you want it to become a DNA, like part of your DNA. It's, if you have a culture of, of hard work or if you have a, a culture of stewardship, it is part of who you are. So obviously, generosity is something that we want to, it, we want it to become who we are, a part of every. We don't have to think about it. It's what we do. We're creating a culture of it. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the definition of, 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 of generosity, or excuse me, that was the definition of culture. I apologize. The definition of generosity, it's a couple, characterized by noble or kindly spirit, magnanimous, kindly, liberal in giving, open-handed. I love open-handed. Never cl closed open-handed. Um, and marked by abundance or ample proportions. So why, so why a culture of generosity? Um, in Matthew uh, 22, 37, and 38, uh, Jesus is kind of confronted by the Pharisees, and he defines basically... The Ten Commandments of uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and on your soul, and your neighbor as yourself, and your neighbor as yourself. So that's just love. You know, that's, that's having a culture of love, liberally love, and creating a culture of generosity. So it's, it's very important to, to kind of, it's kind of the center, the catalyst of who we are, should be as believers. So have you ever been um, confronted with truth, and it totally changes your opinion about something, or, or, um, or like for instance, like with me, and I was sharing it a little bit earlier with the Proverbs. I'm gonna, I'm about to pull up Proverbs uh, three twenty seven in a minute. But when I was reading through some of these Proverbs, it just really just wrecked me. Uh, one of them was, "Do not hold good from those to whom it is due." when it is in your power to act. Proverbs 3, 27. I'll read that one more time. Do not hold good from, from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Um, oftentimes we believe that all of our possessions are ours, all our gifts are ours, and, and they're really God's. And so we, we don't own these things in the first place, yet it's within our power to act, but we're holding them in tightly. Now, I don't know the answer to that in my personal life. Like, I'm still working working through what that actually looks like and how I walk through life. Um, another one, Proverbs 3, uh, 23, 10 through 11. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. And he will take up their case against you. De defending the widows and the poor. You know, I mean, 
you even start to begin to think, think about what that means, fathom what, what that means, how we could do that in our lives. Um, man, it's convicting to me, you know? And the cool thing about it is because it's God who is defending them, you know? He defends the weak. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Um, Proverbs 17, 16 says, One who has no sense shakes hands and pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. 17, 16, One who has no sense shakes hands and pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. So what that means is oftentimes the easiest thing to do is to, hey, you have a problem, here's money, I'll fix it, see you later, right? You're not engaging. And oftentimes that level of helping can hurt. Hurt someone worse than it actually is helping. So as you see, and, that, and this is why I said Selah, contemplate, meditate on these things, like helping someone or, or leaning into a problem is way more complex than you actually think it is oftentimes when you get into it. Um, so these are things that we need to pray through, we need to meditate on in order to become and to, to, to create a culture of generosity. And let me, let me read this, and this is harsh, but it's truth. Matthew 23, uh, verse 1 says, and this is Jesus speaking here, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They, t- t- they tie up heavy, heavy burdens, hard to bear, and then lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dull people's um, bones and all uncleanliness. So you also, also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's kind of heavy, you know, when you actually think and contemplate on it. Um, so there's this, uh, there's a story part, part of uh, in the Great Divorce written by uh, there's this character in the Great Divorce named Sarah Smith, kind of simple, plain Jane type name, right? C.S. Lewis did that on purpose. Um, and the Great Divorce, the divorce it is is concerning uh, the divorce between heaven and hell, and it's basically uh, kind of a take on Dante's Inferno, um, but it's more of a Protestant approach to it. So basically, this guy named George MacDonald travels kind of from uh, like a purgatory-esque experience from hell into heaven. And as he begins, George MacDonald has this narrator that kind of walks him through hell. And as he, they get closer and closer into heaven, and they, they stop into heaven right at the foothills of heaven, characters are kind of characterized by looking kind of transparent, but as they get closer, they see more solid-looking figures. So the closer they get to heaven, the more solid they, they, they get because it's, and it, and it coincides with losing of self. The more that you lose of self, the more that you grow in Christ. You know, there's that verse where it says, if you lose your sake, self for my sake, then for my sake you will find it. Kind of like that. So that's kind of the journey into heaven. And there's this one character named Sarah Smith that uh, they're sitting there, George McDonald sitting with the narrator, and all of a sudden this just massive bright light starts heading towards them. And it's this, this woman on a horse with all these people following her, cat and animals, cats, dogs, multiple horses, and it's just this massive bright, bright light. And George looks at the narrator and is like, that must be Mary, you know? And, he, and, and he's like, no, it's, 
it's not Mary, but it's one of the most magnanimous, uh, magnanimous people in heaven. Um, and they're like, but you wouldn't have probably recognized her when she was on earth. No one really kind of knew what she, she was. And he's like, well, who was she? What'd she do? Well, Sarah Smith, Miss Plain Jane, was a person that just anyone that came near her changed. And all those people that were with her, that were the super solid looking people, like, and light was just kind of reflecting off of them, were all people that she was able to impact while she was on, uh, when she was on earth, but people that you wouldn't know. It, it kind of reminds me of kind of a Mother Teresa type figure, even though she is fairly well known. I was watching this, um, this uh, National Prayer Breakfast speech by Mother Teresa in like 1994, I believe, and I just came to tears because I, I, I was watching this old lady, she's like hanging over, she can barely even like see over the pulpit, and she's sitting up, I just kind of, there we go, and she can barely see over the pulpit, and, she, and she's, in the National Prayer Breakfast, you have the President of the United States, you have past presidents, you have a lot of important people in the room that might not necessarily agree with the political ideology of the person speaking. Um, and she just starts talking about um, adoption and, and abortion. And she says, any, any weak person, any, any, any baby that nobody wants, I, I will take them, bring, me, bring them to me. All the, all, all the riffraff, any, anything, I don't care, bring them, bring them to me. And it's like, man, that, that, and when I saw that, and I encourage you to watch it, you can see it on YouTube, but when I saw her heart, I mean, it's like, that's what Christ does for us, Right? He, he wants, he came to die for the broken, the heavy, heavy laden, um, the ones that are struggling, the ones that are, are cast out in the world. Like, who did he hang out with when he was, when he was here walking on this earth? And so, so that was kind of that same picture that I saw with um, the person in uh, Sarah Smith and the great, great divorce. So I'm going to tie this up a little bit here. So how do we create a culture of generosity, Right. So we have to, just like I was, I was saying when we were reading through the, the, the Proverbs a little bit, we have to confront truth. We have, to, we have to look and seek out truth. Like, what is truth? If you actually, if you have a friend or, or you might be struggling, when you get into the complexities of that problem, it's messy. It's messy. The easiest thing to do sometimes is, here's one piece of advice. Great. See you later. Our coffee was awesome. You know? <laughs> It's, it's hard. You get, in, you get into family dynamics and issues, divorce. You get into things that have happened. It's messy. We live in a messy world. And so you have to, number one, have a confrontation with truth. Number two, have a confrontation with yourself. How are you dealing with that messiness? How are you dealing with your sin? How are you dealing with your nature? Do you pretend it doesn't exist? Do you justify your lifestyle away? Where do you end up? You know? We've got to end up somewhere. We have to get up the next morning and deal with the next day. We have to deal with the depravity of man, ourselves, whether it be a relationship we have within ourselves. We have to deal with it some way. And so, you know, a lot of times people stop there, and that's why we have a lot of depression. You know, because the deeper you dig into self, the more you see how messed up you really are the deeper you go into depression. Or you just pretend like it happened, didn't happen, or you just justify it away. It's somewhere in there that happens. So, so where do we go from there? Well, in order to truly create a culture of generosity within yourself, you have to have a confrontation with Christ because it flips everything upside down. And let me get to that. So forgive, 
ask for forgiveness for the people that were in my Bible study because I actually shared this story um, with them. So if you've heard it, me say it before, I apologize. But um, one time I was, we were in Jordan. We were, my wife and I were in Jordan, and we were, um, we were uh, interacting with Jordanian Islamic students. And uh, we were having a lot of great conversations, and um, we spent, it was called the East-West Youth Initiative, and we spent a lot of time just talking about misconceptions that people have with Christianity and, and, and Islam. And it was really great because we were able to build relationship, and there's a lot of misconceptions. Um, but one of the conversations that I had on the bus, I'll never forget, I'm sitting next to this guy who we had become really good friends um, throughout that trip, and he looks at me, and, and, he, and we're like, let's talk about our faith, you know, I, you know, what, I was like, so tell me, what happens when, when um, you die? I mean, what, tell me how, how your faith informs that. And he's like, well, it's, it's really cool. I'd love to sh- talk with you about it. And he said, well, what happens when I die is I go to some kind of pur- purgatory-esque type place, and um, I ultimately come before God, and he asked me why I should come in. And basically, based upon how good I've done, um, he either allows me in or he says, hey, go back and do some more good stuff, and then I'll let you in. And, um, and I was like, man, uh, okay. And he's like, well, what about you? And I was like, well, okay, I, same deal. I come before God, but, you know, even my best works are tainted with myself and my pride, so it's nothing. It's rags before the feet of God. Like, if, if we think that we can actually attain by works God's perfection, if we think then, then we're not holding him in a high regard and we're holding ourselves in way higher regard. You think that your works actually qualify to, for anything? And every other religion in this world are, is, is works-based. It's all works-based. And so that's what Christianity flips it all upside down. Because otherwise you're, you're finding your identity, your status, everything in life based upon how good you are, how good your works are. And that's, that's what gets you into heaven, you know, according to him. And he's like, well, what about you? And I was like, man, I have no chance whatsoever, except for I believe in this guy named Jesus Christ who came and walked on this earth and lived a perfect life and died on behalf of me. So therefore, when God sees me, he now sees his son. Otherwise, like I'm covered, his blood covered me. Otherwise, I have zero hope. But see what happens when, when you believe in that, when you get into that, now you live a life based upon a joy that you just have been given. You've been adopted as a son and a co-heir with Christ. And now this has been given to you, right? So it's nothing that you've done to attain it, so you should be living in a humble, more humble manner. Because if you attained it, you would feel, you'd feel more, you know, puffed up. Like, I actually did that to get in. You know, no, man, I didn't do anything to get in. Even what I tried to do was crappy. You know, really crappy. And so... So a confrontation with truth, right? A confrontation with yourself. Like, get in touch with, with really your, your, your true nature. But don't, but don't be depressed about it because there is an opportunity for you to have identity in Christ and to be completely covered. And to flip this whole workspace culture that we live in upside down. And now, when your identity is in Christ, you have a hope. You have a freedom that you can walk in. That you, you can fail, whatever. I have a freedom to fail. I already have my identity. I'm good. I'm covered. It's a whole nother level of freedom that you have. Um, so, in conclusion, I want to talk about Peter a little bit because I've been thinking about Peter a lot. And this is kind of 
talking about expectations, right? Because I think we, 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 we live in a guilt and shame, a place of guilt and shame a lot of times. I know I do. Based upon how good I was this week, I walk into church and like, do they know about that one? God, I might have dropped an F-bomb against my wife last night. Like, who knows what I did, you know? And, and sometimes people think I'm a lot better than I am. And, and, and um, I struggle. My wife and I struggle. We do. It's hard. Life is, is hard, especially if you're actually confronting a lot of the issues that are coming before you. Um, so anyway, I look at Peter for encouragement. Because here you got Peter, right? He's this, you know... Um, this fisherman that Jesus recruits as a disciple, hangs out, follows Jesus around, this bold guy. I mean, I don't know what his stature was, but I kind of imagine him being kind of like a linebacker a little bit. I don't know why I have that picture. But just, you know, just I'm going for it. Jesus, I got your back. I'm the, you know, whatever. You know, I want to be sitting there right next to you in your right hand. Hey, you're walking on water. I'm stepping out right now. I'm going to go meet you. Oh, wait, I looked away. I started sinking. You know, but just the guy that goes for it. And it's kind of like, oh, man, here, here's this guy, Peter. Yet at the same time, you know, the night before Jesus is crucified, Peter's like, they go to get uh, Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and um, the guy goes for Jesus, and Peter cuts off the guard's ear. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 don't keep me from my father's work. You know, and, and Peter's still, that, that whole, whole time, he's like, man, I'm going to defend you, Jesus. I got this, you know, whatever. I'm going to war with you. And he's like, in fact, Peter, you're going to deny me three, three times before the, you know, before the day's over you know, or before 24 hours is over. He's like, what? No, not me. I'm the guy that just cut off that, guard, that guard's ear. No, you're going to deny me three, three times. And sure enough, he denies Christ three times. And I think, I, I, you know, I imagine him, and maybe it's because of the passion in the movie, but I just imagine him sitting around with, I th- I just, you know, just people that it doesn't even really matter if you deny him. You don't even have to defend yourself. It's not like it's someone putting you on trial, but he, he is that, you know, shattered or, 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 you know, just, he can't, he's that frazzled by it, you know, that he denies Christ three times, the rooster crows. Can you imagine? That's the biggest moment in history, and here Peter is, the bold guy, the fighter, denying Christ. And sure enough, you know, after Jesus um, is raised from the dead, he meets Peter, and he's like, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yes, and he asks him three times, do you love me? Peter's like, yes, I do. Well, then take care of my sheep. And he ultimately ends up giving Peter, the guy that denies him at the biggest moment in history, the keys to the church. And he's an example of the church. So that's encouraging to me. Because here you have this guy that walked alongside Jesus, that messed up, that turned his back on his friend, that turned his back on the king of the universe. But, but if you look at anyone other than Jesus in the Bible, we, we oftentimes hold them up in this huge heroic manner. They're all flawed be- people pointing towards Christ or looking back to Christ. And ultimately, Christ is the only person that can come before us. So think about Peter sometimes when you're feeling shame and guilt. Like, look what he did, you know? But we're redeemed. That's why Christ, Christ died. Don't nullify the cross. Um, so I wanted to share with you one hymn, and then I'm going to invite, I'm going to pray and invite uh, the worship team to come up. Um, and before that, I, I just want to say, uh, you know, as we look to creating a culture of generosity, once again, don't be scared to confront truth. Don't be scared to confront yourself. And don't be scared to confront Christ with it.
Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the only identity that we can have in this life that is sustainable, the only way that we can truly create a culture of generosity in our life is through, is through, our, through Christ. Um, there's this, this hymn that was writ- written in 1707 um, by Isaac Watts. And it's, um, a lot of people, uh, will, it's referred to at the cross, at the cross but um, the true title is, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. I'm going to read this to you. Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a sinner as I? Thy body, thy body slain, sweet Jesus thine, and bathed in its own blood, while the firm mark of wrath divine, his soul in anguish stood. Was it for crimes that I had? He groaned upon the tree, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Thus thus must I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for um, your word. Uh, We thank you for examples throughout the Bible that you can give us. We thank you for your Proverbs that challenge us, Father. And I just pray for everyone here this morning to to not be scared to lean into truth and pursue you. Not be scared of their human nature. Father God, you came in to seek and to save us. the poor in spirit, Father, and, and that is us this morning. So as we, we, we journey into this next year, and as we you know, think of, of milestones, milestones of, of last, I pray that you just, Father, give us a deeper understanding of what it means, um, your love truly means to us, and, and help it to overflow into a culture of gener- generosity in our hearts and in our lives, and the way that we treat people, and the way that we act in every way, whether it be financial whether it be a conversation and coffee, whether it be the workplace. So, Father, I ask for grace for us to understand, for us to to see that. Um, And I ask for boldness to step forward and not sit back in complacency. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.